0: Samuel chapter 12 all right first Samuel chapter 12 and we're going to begin reading in verse one we've been in first Samuel now for uh, quite a few weeks as we've been kind of laying the foundation for our study on the kings of Israel and uh, really the goal of this is to give us kind of a a picture of the, the the timeline of the various kings of Israel and Judah and how they fit together, and the things that they, uh, that they did, and all of that, but we've been kind of laying a foundation for that, in studying Samuel and his life, and now, a few weeks ago, we looked at the anointing of Saul to be the first king, and uh, last week, we looked at that situation where those men, the Ammonites, uh, came up against the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and how really the Lord used that as an opportunity for Saul to kind of, uh, I guess, become the leader in the eyes of the people. But now we're going to pick it up in verse number 1 of 1 Samuel 12, where it says, And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that ye said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walketh before you, And I am old and gray-headed, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose, whose ox have I taken, or whose ass have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or of whose hand have I received any bribe, to blind mine eyes therewith, and I will restore it you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. I want to just stop there for just a moment. And, and and consider that point number one in your outline there, if you have an outline, if you don't have one, you can raise your hand, we'll get one to you. But point number one there in your outline, we, we see Samuel's leadership as he has brought the congregation of Israel together and he is now addressing them. He, he reminded them how they had asked for a king. They had, uh, re, they had basically requested a king or demanded a king against God's will and against Samuel's protests. And so he went on record again stating that having a king was the, their idea. It, was the, it wasn't it was God's plan for them. It was something that they just simply demanded. They weren't looking for God's best, but uh, they were simply doing uh, what they wanted. And if you remember their reason for wanting a king, uh, does anyone remember the reason that they wanted a king? Yes, ma'am just to be like the other nations, right? We want a king, uh, just like all the other nations around us have kings that can deliver us from battle or in battle, you know deliver us from our enemies, and so on and so forth. Well, think about that if you would. They had the best deliverer in the entire world. They had God on their side. And yet they looked around them and they saw the other nations and they said, why can't we be more like them? Isn't it interesting how, God's people often fall into a trap of wanting to be like the people all around them. Instead of just trusting God and understanding that his will is best for us. And so uh, Samuel kind of reminded them, this was your idea. And then he spoke of his service as a leader. Uh, He says uh, in verse number uh, two, he says, Behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. Behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. So from the time he was a child serving with Eli in the tabernacle until now, they had watched him and and seen his manner. Now, here's something I find really interesting about that. I was just talking to uh, someone over here who mentioned uh, going to a church, attending a church where they knew the pastor, when he was a child, and how odd that felt, because, you know, normally you're not used to watching someone grow up, and then them becoming your leader, and and uh, and that can certainly create some interesting situations, uh, and, you and know, a, a lot of times leaders that are kind of, if I can use the term those larger than life, you know, big personalities, real strong leaders, there's a degree of kind of separation there there's an element of mystery almost about them here Samuel is saying listen you've known everything about me you've watched me from the time I was a child serving with Eli and all the way till now I'm an old man you you know you as a congregation Israel you've observed my life you know everything about me and there's a there's an old saying that uh, you know familiarity breeds contempt and uh, there's some truth to that. Uh, however, I also believe that a good leader is a transparent leader. And someone who's willing to uh, be as, as genuine and real as possible and let people see that he is just another man as well, but also that he is a man of integrity, a man who can be trusted. And this is something that Samuel was doing. He's saying, listen, you've, you've seen my life, you've observed me. And then he says, You're, you know, witness against me before the Lord. Who have I wronged? Is there anything, is there anyone who can bring an accusation against me that I have defrauded you or taken something of you that was not mine? And and he wants to really remind them of his integrity. Uh, Letter C there. He spoke candidly and directly of his integrity. For Samuel, this was an important moment to affirm his testimony before God, the people, and Saul, which was God's anointed king. Notice he also said, Behold, here I am. He wanted the people to testify publicly concerning his manner of life and ministry. Isn't it interesting that, that Samuel didn't just stand there and say, Everyone here knows that I have not done anything wrong. I have not defrauded you. I haven't taken anything. He actually opened the floor and he said, I, I want to know who is there that has any, anything that you can bring against me. And I think that that was actually very wise on his part because what it does is when, when that floor is opened, everyone had their opportunity. I mean, it's kind of a speak now or forever hold your peace moment. You know, it, you have an opportunity. If you have grievances against me, let's deal with those things now. And obviously the people didn't. Well, that then satisfied, would have satisfied the, the minds of the people. Okay, Samuel was a leader with integrity. It's one thing for him to say, I'm an honest person. Every politician that's ever, that's ever lived will tell you that they're an honest person. But we know that the opposite is often true that they're not always honest people, right? But when there is no no, um, accusation or or opportunity for reproach upon a person, even when the opportunity is presented publicly, testify against me, it kind of sets everyone's mind at ease. All right? Number three, was there any testimony or record of his corruption or abuse of his office for personal gain? If he had wronged them in any way, he wanted to make it right. He was not, first of all, he was not in this service for himself. He wasn't in it for personal gain. I don't want to be too political this morning. I already mentioned politicians. But the truth is that a lot of times, if you want to know who's corrupt as a politician and who's not, just follow the money. (laughs) You see a lot of people that will get into office and they're not very wealthy, and by the time they leave office, they're extremely wealthy. Where did that money come from? And I'm not saying, you know, if they wrote some books or something and they legitimately made gain, I'm not against that, but, but oftentimes the reason that they're in a, a position of power is because they're trying to posture themselves in a way that they can gain and benefit from that. But a true leader, a godly leader, is more interested in God's will and the needs of God's people than he is about his own gain and prosperity. And so he, he brought that out. And then he even said uh, in, verse number, um, in verse number three, the end of verse number three, he says, or of whose hand have I received bribe to blind mine eyes therewith, and I will restore it to you. In other words, if, if I have wronged you, I will make that right. And I think that that's a, a positive attribute of anyone, but especially those in leadership, to be willing to say, listen, you know, I, I've tried to live with integrity, but if in some way I have brought harm to you or, or defrauded you in some way, I want to take the steps necessary to make that right. I want there to be restoration there. A lot of times people are willing to apologize, they're willing to apologize, but not necessarily willing to restore, you know, they're not willing to really take the steps necessary to make it right when they have wronged someone else, but that certainly isn't God's plan, and so here Samuel says, listen, if I've wronged you, I want to make that right. The people, her D, verbalize that Samuel had lived a blameless life. And their testimony was witnessed by God and his anointed, Saul. Samuel used the term his anointed, the Lord's anointed, twice. And it seems that he was referring to the transition from himself to Saul. Though he would continue to be involved, his role changed. Up till this point... In the book of 1 Samuel, the narrative is primarily centered around Samuel. And now it's going to change. And the centerpiece of the narrative is going to be Saul and his leadership. And Samuel is going to take a back seat in a lot of ways. And he's reminding the people, now the Lord has anointed Saul to be your leader, to be your king. All right, number two. Samuel gave his listeners a history lesson. Let's pick it up in verse number 6. And Samuel said unto the people, "...it is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron... ...and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord... ...of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was come into Egypt, and your fathers cried unto the Lord... Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord, and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jeroboam, that's Gideon, and Bedan, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and ye dwelled safe. And when ye saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen, and whom ye have desired, and behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. So, as he's giving them this history lesson, he hits some kind of highlights here. Letter A, under number 2, God raised up Moses and Aaron to lead them out of Egypt. Samuel reminded them of how God had worked for Israel... And, number two, God heard the cry of his people. Perhaps Samuel was reminding them of these facts because this was what they had recently failed to do. Instead of crying out to God to deliver them, they demanded a king. And so God also delivered them in the times of the judges. When they sinned, God allowed Israel to be oppressed. But when they repented and cried out to the Lord, he delivered them. Yet... Most recently, when Nahash the Ammonite came against them, they did not cry out to God. They called on Samuel, demanding a king to reign over them. They already had a king. God was their king. God was their deliverer. But rather than looking to the Lord, they wanted to look to man. And and again, I think this is something that we all are accustomed to do at times, where We trust in the Lord, theoretically, we know that he is all powerful, we know that he's able, and really we can even point back to times in our lives where he has come through for us and how he's delivered us. But in a moment of crisis, we want a deliverer that we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. I mean, in, in all honesty, I think this is even sometimes just the way that we're, we're made and, and the fact that we are, according to the Bible, we're dust. <laughs> but, you know, if I get a bad diagnosis of health, the first person that I tend to run to is a doctor. And I, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I, I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful that God has given us... Technology and He's given us wisdom and understanding, and He's given us people who are trained medically and able to help. But really, our first call should be to the Lord, not to some man. And and the same is true when it comes to uh, our our finances. A lot of times, we're running to a bank or we're running to an insurance company or whatever the case is. Uh, Again, the Lord allows these things, and I'm thankful for them. But our eyes ought to be on the Lord, not on man. And the first thing they did when Nahash the Ammonite came up was they looked to men. We need a king. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, we're looking to you. And the Lord very well may have said, well, go get Saul and he will lead lead the people against him. You know, God uses men. God uses people. But our confidence ought not be in men. Our confidence needs to be in the Lord. And so here they were. uh, they, They were looking for an earthly king, a human that they could see and hear. And in so doing, they kind of abandoned really what God wanted for them to be their king. And so they left that behind. So Samuel's kind of once again protesting or at least reminding them of their error. Now let's look at verse number... Uh, 14, Samuel says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your father's. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask for us or to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside, for then shall ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it, it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. So, he's speaking of the matter of the kingdom here. They have their king, and now it's their responsibility uh, to serve and obey God. Having a king did not relieve them of that responsibility, to obey the Lord. The only way they could expect their future to be promising uh, was for them and their king to continue to follow the Lord. Israel's basic problem was not that they didn't have a king. It was that they were not willing to follow the Lord as their king. And this is true in so many situations in our lives. We, we tend to look at our problem as being the circumstances around us. When in reality, the circumstances aren't necessarily the problem. They may be symptoms of the problem. Whereas if we would just simply follow the Lord and obey the Lord, and trust the Lord... God would take care of those other circumstances, okay? Um, Sometimes we have the same tendency. We think our problems could be fixed by changing a leader or our location when the solution is really within ourselves, or really we should say within the Lord. With or without a king, if they rebelled against God's command, he would be against them. So God gave Israel a sign. Samuel said this sign was to convince them of their wickedness and asking for a king. God sent rain and thunder uh, on the day of wheat harvest. That was an unusual thing, and it was actually a bad thing. <laughs> uh, you don't want a, a, a heavy thunderstorm uh, to mess up your harvest. And, and, uh, and that was a sign that the Lord was not blessing them because of their sin. Uh, letter C there, uh, it says, Israel confessed their sin, asking Samuel to pray for them. And then Samuel encouraged them to faithfully follow God. He reminded them that they were God's people. He promised he would continue to pray for and instruct them. And then Samuel pressed them for continued consecration to God. I love this. The Lord is bringing uh, uh, some affliction into their lives in order to show them their sin. But he has not abandoned them. And, and that's a really encouraging thought to me that there are times that I might get out of God's will and the Lord will bring that chastening rod to me to correct me and show me that I'm wrong but even in that time God is still with me and God is still for me and I'm thankful for that um, i there was a, a situation those of you who know my son Judah my little five-year-old you know he's a He's a a sweet little thing. I mean, he just loves people. He's kind of cuddly. But he'll tell me every single day, Dad, you're my best friend in the whole world. Dad, you're my best friend. I just love you. Well, the other day, he was acting up. I don't even remember what all happened, but I had to discipline him for something. And I dealt with that discipline. And as I do, I'm stern but loving. And he's crying, and he looks at me, and he says, Dad... You were my best friend. <laughs> and he, you, know, you could just tell he was heartbroken because he felt like there was something between us and that maybe I was angry with him or I didn't love him anymore or whatever the case was. And I reassured him, son, I'm still your best friend. I still love you. You're still special to me. I'm trying to work for good in your life. And you know, God does the same thing for us. We sin, we get out of his will and God will bring consequences and sometimes they're even painful and difficult but that doesn't mean that we're separated from God's love Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God and I'm thankful for that I'm thankful that those of us who are saved we're, we're kept by the power of God we're in his hand I'm his child and nothing can ever change that and, uh, and that was true even of Israel he had chosen these people And said, listen, you are my people. And I love you. Even though you've messed up in this area. And there are going to be consequences down the road for that. You're still my people. And I still want you to do right. And I still want you to obey and follow me. So then there's some principles and applications to this. First of all, none of us are perfect. But as Samuel did, we should be willing to right any wrongs or own up to any ways that we have sinned. Secondly... God has historically defended and provided for Israel. And sometimes it's good to look back and see how God has cared for us in the past. That's what Samuel was doing in giving a history lesson to the people of Israel. Actually, we just uh, came out of uh, November, that month where we celebrate Thanksgiving. The reason we do that, annually set aside a holiday where we give thanks, even though we ought to give thanks every day, but but we do that because it's a healthy thing for us to look back and see God's hands of hand of blessing and 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 to acknowledge that and thank him for it and then let her see like Saul we should not expect God's blessings if we're living in disobedience okay now uh, after going through that chapter a couple of points I guess for you to consider as we try to make some application to this in our lives Um, Samuel we've seen it now several times he when they first demanded a king he protested after God said just go with it you know let them have their king he said but protest against it basically don't you know, Let them know why they're wrong. And now he's reminding them again of their sin in asking for a king. But do you think that maybe the reason for the continual reminding of that sin is really to illustrate the importance of God wanting us to take ownership for our failures? In other words, we, we ought not constantly bring up wrongs that people have done. Again, I'll I'll use an example, my children. I try not to continually bring up their failures. That's just not a healthy thing for them uh, or for me to constantly focus on the negative, to focus on failures. However, there are lessons to be learned from our failures. And sometimes we can't really move on from those failures until we have acknowledged them and accepted the consequences and even sought to make those things right. And so I think that Samuel is, is, is doing this not to continually throw it in their face of how wicked they are, but to show them the seriousness of this, to basically say, listen, you have not started off on the right foot here but you need to continue to do right. You need to follow the will of God for you. And, uh, and so I think there was some value in him continually illustrating that or, or, or reminding them of that. Uh, secondly, how is it possible that after all the time Samuel confronted Israel about their sin, they still needed a specific, specific miracle of God in other words, the, the rain and the thunder and the, the storm during wheat harvest, why did they have to see that physically with their eyes in order for the, to, to convince them of the wickedness of their sin? Does anyone have any thought on that? Why, if Samuel had told them over and over of how wrong this was, why was it that God had to send a sign in order to convince them of their sin? Yes, sir. Okay. Just, just to get their attention, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Stubbornness. I think so. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I think you're all right. The reality is that we kind of tend to, somehow there's a disconnect sometimes between what God says and what we would even say we believe and what we really believe deep down within our soul, <laughs> you know, and it's a lack of faith, it's stubbornness, and it's that we, we're not really letting God get our attention to shake us up. In other words, I mean, one of the things that's frustrating sometimes for me as a preacher, and this isn't against anyone, it's, it's human nature in general, but it's hard sometimes to stand in the pulpit and preach and know that, that this is a need within the church, we need this, and to even hear people say, oh, that was a great message, but nothing changes. <laughs> when there's a disconnect between... What we say we believe and what we're actually acting upon, it is a lack of faith, it is stubbornness, and it's kind of a, an unconsciousness as that we're going through life as like, yeah, I know God's not real pleased with this, but it's not that big of a deal. Well, it is a big deal, and when God says something, it's a big deal, and sadly, he sometimes has to bring consequences even to wake us up to that reality. This is serious. And I mean what I say. And so I think that's part of it. And then lastly, what do you think we can learn from the way that Samuel persistently pressed Israel about their sin and the need to live wholeheartedly from the Lord? Is there anything uh, for the Lord? Is there anything that you think of that we could gain uh, from just considering how Samuel was persistent in reminding Israel about their sin and admonishing them to live for the Lord. Yes, ma'am. sure yeah yes yeah no you're I think you're exactly right just uh, the forgetfulness of people I mean one of the things that I I try to encourage married couples that are at each other all the time you know you need to get back to the place of when you fell in love you know you need to remind yourself of the things that drew you to this person to begin with. And that might mean that you have to list something. And I've told ladies this before. Every day I want you to list one thing that you're thankful for about your husband. And I've heard them say, man, I don't know, after about three days, I don't know what I'm going to write. You know, well, that's a problem. You know, you need, to, you need to remind yourself. You need to find something that you can be thankful for. And the same is true for husbands and their wives. We just need to be reminded because we so often forget. And folks, when it comes to the Lord and the things that he does in our lives, we forget. We forget. We forget to take it seriously. And we got to be reminded. That's one reason, uh, you know, I think it's so important. I know we always go back to this. You need to have a daily time with the Lord in his word and in prayer. It's a reminder, (laughs) It's a it's a constant um, feeding of our you know feeding on the word of God and and you you may have, you may say well you know I've read through the Bible ten times good go through it again you'll get something else out of it I guarantee it if you're open to it and you know the Lord just needs to continually remind us and teach us because we're forgetful people and so anyway I appreciate the input and discussion. Uh, for next week, in preparation for next week, read the next chapter, 1 Samuel 13, and I think uh, you'll find it interesting as we really start to get into a study of the kings here. Okay?